0: The following message, entitled, For the Sake of His Name, Be Devoted, was given by Joe Ryer on the 1st of February, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit SGCIndianaPA.org. Well, good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Before we get into the message, I have two uh, additional announcements and then just a a church-wide prayer request as well that I'm making to all of us. Um, two announcements. If you are a young adult and you would like to come to a fellowship group and you've never signed up for one, or maybe you're just starting IUP this semester or another school, um, we have one for you today right after church. Um, it'll be through that door in the back of this room at 1230 and lunch will be provided. So please check that out um, if, you're, if you're wanting to be a part of one. Uh, it's a great one to come to. Um, Also, I wanted to just underscore Bob's Bible study. Um, I went to it today. And uh, just to encourage you, if you are able to go to the Proverbs Bible study, um, it will really strengthen your faith and understanding of an Old Testament book of the Bible. And today... Um, he just did an introduction that will be available online if you want to listen to it ahead of time um, before you come next week. That would be great. If you're unable to attend for some reason, they're always available on our website as well. Um, but just a, a, just a plug to come. Um, it was really encouraging. Okay, now the prayer request, and then I'll pray for the message and we'll get into it. Um, you might have noticed there are a lot of young children in the church, Right? So what that means during the wintertime and flu and cold season, it means there's a lot of exhausted parents in the church right now as well, Uh, both in the church this morning and uh, probably half of them didn't make it this morning as well. So when I pray this morning, I just want to pray for all the the parents who have been taking care of sick kids, have been sick themselves, um, who haven't slept um, very much, some for the last couple years. So I talked to a few dads this morning that were very tired And I imagine if I would talk to their wives, um, their wives are even more exhausted than their husbands. So let's pray. Uh, We'll pray for God's word to be opened up to us as well. Lord, thank you for the gift of children. Lord, thank you for the abundance of children represented in this local church. And Lord, we, we pray for each of them. Lord, that they would be healthy, that you would protect those who are sick right now with the the flu or stomach virus or colds or any sort of ailment, Lord, please have mercy. Lord, for all the moms and dads that are weary and exhausted and a whole night's sleep seems like something that happened um, years ago and they haven't experienced recently, we pray you would strengthen them and help them. Lord, encourage them in their inner being. Uh, Fill them with your Spirit. Lord, if they're here this morning, Lord, encourage them with your Word. As well. And Lord, just thank you for them. And Lord, as a church, help us to be be, uh, just reminded to pray for one another. Um, Lord, we love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Joe, I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in the middle of a series on Romans. And today we're going to be looking at two verses in the book of Romans Romans 12, verses 9 or 3 verses. 9 through 11. But to, to set us up, I want to read the whole um, entirety of chapter 12, 1 through 11, because it will set it all into to context. You might have noticed we were going at a pretty fast clip for a while in Romans, and now we have hit the brakes, and we've done so intentionally, and you'll see why um, in a moment. Chapter 12, uh, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's our passage for this morning. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The title of this message is entitled, For the Sake of His Name, Be Devoted, or your handout, if you got one of the questionnaires for a fellowship group, it might say, or it should say, for the sake of his name, live like you know him. Live like you know him, or be devoted. I changed the name as I, I studied the passage more. But, but both be devoted and live like you know him capture the idea. But before we, we jump into the specifics of 9 through 11, I want to ask you guys some questions to think about that. That wouldn't be new questions for most of you, but I think they are questions that come up in the book of Romans, particularly uh, depending on what chapter you, you land on reading. And that's why I wanted to start with verse 1 when we get to verse 9 through 11, because context really matters. So the first question, you don't have to answer it, I just want you to think about it. Is salvation a free gift from God Is salvation a free gift from God? Is it an absolutely free gift? Second question I'm going to tell you the answer to the first question. Does it matter how we live as Christians? Is salvation a free gift? Does it matter how we live as Christians? This is a third question. This is a question Paul himself raised, if we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, can we do whatever we want? What does it matter? Why does it matter how we live as Christians? So if what Paul says in the book of Romans in the first half is true, he's making a strong case that our salvation is a free gift based entirely on believing in Jesus Christ alone, he says it this way in romans three twenty eight for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. we hold Bob preached a whole sermon on this passage. we hold Paul saying, and we hold as Christians and as your pastors that a person, a man or a woman, boy or girl, is declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. In, order we're, in other words, we're saved because of what Jesus has done. And we believe in that. And if you believe in Jesus' perfect life, death and resurrection, you really trust in that, you're saved. You're forgiven. You're justified. You're positionally righteous once for all. The passage from Isaiah is true for you. From that moment you believe until you to all eternity, it's free. Well, where we get confused then is what do we do with all the commands in the New Testament about how we should live? And sometimes we get clouded in our mind and we think, well, if that's true, then does it really matter how we conduct ourselves as Christians? If it's true we're saved by Jesus alone, why not do whatever you want? Paul asked a very similar question. So does it matter how you live, how you conduct yourself as a Christian? Oh, it matters greatly. It's huge. It's huge in the New Testament. We're going to see that. But one of the things we want you to to think about is, is keep these categories separate. You are justified, you are a Christian by faith alone in Jesus alone, period. That's that free gift that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. So everyone who believes in that receives eternal life, John 3.16. But then, once we are in the family, once we are positionally declared righteous, we have a lifelong pursuit of actual righteousness following Jesus, being his disciple, becoming more like him, looking more like him in our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Why am I starting here? I'm starting here because the Apostle Paul, in really chapter 1 up until chapter 12, he's made a strong case for salvation by faith alone. And like he does in many of his other letters, he starts with these grand theological truths And then he gets to our lives and how it should be worked out in church life, and our personal lives. And so after he explained all these really important fundamental truths to the Romans, the Roman Christians, now he's going to get to their conduct. But if you just read the verses we're going to look at and following through chapter 12 and didn't understand that our salvation is based on faith alone in Jesus alone, You could get off track. You could get off course. The two have to hold together. We are positionally righteous in Christ, and we're to be actually righteous. It does matter how you live as a Christian. That's why my first title was, For the Sake of His Name, Live Like You Know Him. Our lives as Christians should evidence that we have been saved, that God's Spirit's inside of us, that He's working, that there's new power to not sin. That's why Paul started this section with the therefore in verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, because of all that you received, present your bodies as Living a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, you've been saved by grace. You've received mercy. Now your lives should be an act of worship to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So yes, we are saved by grace through faith alone. And yes, it does matter how we live as Christians. And it's that second idea we're going to focus on today and for the next few weeks. But as we do so, I want you to remember that you have been justified by faith alone in Christ alone. So this brings us to Point one, verse nine. Point one, we must be devoted to the Lord and to one another. One way to think about these things is they are responses to what Christ has done. So verse nine, we're going to spend the most time in verse nine. So don't get worried that we're going to be here for five hours. I'm going to take my time with verse nine and then we're going to go a little quicker in 10 and 11. We must be devoted to the Lord and to one another. Verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine. This word love, this particular Greek word for love, can be translated very accurately as devotion. Let our devotion to the Lord and to others, to primarily Christians, let it be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. Let it be real. Now, this may seem like an unusual example, but just like I got Bob's joke at the announcements because we're the same age, um, he'll get this reference as well. In the, the late 80s, there was a, a singing duo called Millie Vanilli. Okay. And I, I looked them up again, I wanted to see if my facts in my mind were actually true. But these guys were from Germany, they were put together as a, a singing duo. And they were a hit, their album sold thousands and thousands and thousands. Well what happened was, they turned out to be fakes. They, they did a concert in the United States, and um, the track that they were lip-syncing to got stuck in a hit repeat. And they continued to sing, not realizing that the music was going on uh, or had stopped and they were going on without the music. And so they were exposed for who they were. And it turns out the people on the album, the primary vocals, um, they were not the the two guys. They were fakes. They were hypocrites. And they had to deal with that shame and consequence um, for the rest of their music careers. They, They weren't the real thing. They looked like the real thing from a distance, but they were a fake. As Christians, in our devotion to the Lord and to one another, we don't want to be fakes. We don't want to be hypocrites. Why? Well, there are a number of biblical reasons, but a primary one is is because it tells a lie about the Lord. We want to live in such a way that the Lord receives glory. And so if you say, Jesus has saved me, forgiven me changed me he's at work in my life i love him so much and then by your actions you say the exact opposite thing well that confuses people about the jesus you claim to follow Here be another example this is the time of the year that you know a number of us get on health kicks and you're trying to exercise and you're trying to eat better that's all good i do that too Hopefully it lasts. But um, imagine if you're going to a uh, health expert, a dietitian, and they give you some good advice, and they have you eating things that you've never heard of and things that you don't really prefer, but you think for the sake of good health, I'm going to do it because I want to be healthy. So let's say you're doing it for about a month or two. Food tastes terrible. You're just believing it's healthy, and uh, and hopefully it is healthy but you just happen to be driving by McDonald's and you see the dietitian who's been putting you on the strict diet, smoking in her car and ordering a Big Mac. Well, what would that do for you? That doesn't mean she's not a dietitian. It doesn't even mean what she said isn't true. But it's probably going to affect how you go to her and what you think about her advice from, from then on. Well, why is that? It's because she's a fake. It's not, it's not genuine. She may be a real dietitian, so positionally she's a dietitian, but actually she's as unhealthy as, as anyone else. Well, as Christians, God wants us to be holy, He wants us to be devoted, He wants us to be committed to Him, sold out entirely to Him, and devoted to His people. I mean, Jesus said this when He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? This is how He answered in Mark 12, verse 30 and 31. He said, here it is. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the God word, peace. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor As yourself. There's no greater commandment. There's no commandment greater than these. That's genuine devotion to the Lord. I think what we do with this passage at times is we think, well, that's impossible. And only Jesus has done it perfectly. Well, that's true. Jesus has done it perfectly. But He's our head. We're His body. We're His representatives. We're supposed to be like Him. And we have power and strength from inside to be like Him. And so, He wants us to be devoted to Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And we we want to grow in that as the years go by. So day one as a Christian, positionally we're secure. Day 5,000, positionally, we're secure. Day one as a Christian, maybe we're very immature in loving God with our heart, mind, and soul, and all our core being. But day 5,000, we should be much further along in loving God with with our being. Same thing with the second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In our devotion to the Lord... It should be sincere, without hypocrisy. We can't say we love God or love others when we disobey God on a regular basis and are unkind or sin against others. That's not genuine. And God is calling us to have a genuine relationship with Him, a genuine devotion to Him. This is not a new idea, according to the Bible. Listen to this verse from Leviticus, uh, chapter 11, verse 45. He says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. In other words, Israel, I rescued you. You've been rescued. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. You're rescued, now respond in a life pursuit, a loving devotion to me and to my people. This theme is all throughout the Bible. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 10-12. through 12. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is God speaking to us. I urge you, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, our sinful cravings and desires, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the world honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, if our conduct is in keeping with what our profession is, then any charge against us cannot stand, because your life is really one that is marked by devotion, by love for the Lord. And remember, uh, last week and the week before, we were studying the passage and the idea that we are the body of Christ and we have gifts that are to function together. Well, this idea of our love being genuine is not unrelated to that idea. For the sake of the health of God's body, Christ's body on earth, we want to be healthy Christians. We want to be devoted Christians. If we're not healthy meaning we are not abstaining from sin, but we're indulging in sin, it affects the whole body. It affects the body universally. As people, oh, so-and-so said they're a Christian. Maybe they are a Christian, but wow, they are a wicked Christian. Well, that affects the name of Jesus throughout the land. Same is true in our body. Our local family here at Saving Grace Church. If one of us goes astray and indulges in sin, it it in a sense affects the whole body. It's kind of like my physical body. If you ask me, let's say I had a heart disease, I have a serious heart problem, and you ask me, are you healthy? Well, I could say my brain is healthy, my lungs are healthy, my muscles are healthy, my veins are healthy. But are you healthy? No, I'm not healthy. Why aren't you healthy? Because one part of your body is not healthy. It's the same as a church family. We want to pursue the Lord together because it will bring glory to the Lord. And when a brother or sister is out of step with their devotion, we want to challenge them, call them out, encourage them, warn them, appeal to them, pray for them because it's not just their life that's at stake and if they a christian who lives and pursues sin they will be a miserable person we've seen it over and over again in the bible and in real life but even behind that even out of beyond the care for them as an individual is the lord our lives matter to the lord he saved us for his glory we want to bring him fame in this town and throughout the earth So, let love be genuine. Let your devotion to the Lord be genuine. And if you're thinking, there are areas of my life that are not genuine in my devotion for the Lord. What do I do? You confess your sins to one another. You pray for one another. And the Lord will help you. And the road to health is confession and humbling yourself and and coming face to face with God's Word. And as you do that, the Lord will have mercy, and He will get glory. So Paul starts this big idea, and then he gives us a negative and a positive of what this devotion looks like. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. Second part of verse 9. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. In other words, a genuine love for God hates evil, abhors evil. The command is, abhor what is evil. This word abhor is as strong as it sounds. It's this deep hatred for what is evil. It's this passionate, deep hatred. It's not just abstaining from evil, but it's being repulsed by evil, abhorring it. And you might say, well, what's the evil we're to abhor? Well, the evil is anything that God declares evil, wrong, offensive to him. So how do we know what God thinks is offensive. Because we would need to know that if we're to abhor it. Well, the way to know it is, is by studying His Word, spending time with Him. Because the command is to abhor what is evil and to hold fast to what is good. And we'll get to the what is good in a moment. But my kids, I have three children, Isaac, Lily, and Adam. And if you, if you interviewed them today after church, they could tell you in a pretty lengthy list what your dad like and what doesn't he like? What are the things he really likes and what are the things he really doesn't like? It could be on moral issues, it could be on preferences, it could be in fun activities. What's he like? What doesn't he like? Well, how do they know that? They know that because they've spent a lot of time with me. They've spent their entire life with me. Well, as we spend time with God, we know what he likes and what he doesn't like. And as his Sons and daughters, as we spend time with God, our Father, we become more like Him because we want to be shaped by what He likes and what He doesn't like. Or what He forbids and what He commands. It's stronger than likes and preferences. And so we want our idea of evil to be shaped by God's Word and not our culture. Our culture at times calls things evil. Good that are evil. And things that are evil, good. So we need God's word to shape us. Well, here's a starting place. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. And this will just give you a a taste of some of the things that God hates. Remember, God is a loving God, but He is a holy God. And it's in His holiness that He hates these things. Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devised wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Now, these aren't the only things God hates, but it's a starting place. We're just going to talk about it for a little bit before we get to the cling to what is good. Haughty eyes, what what is that? That's a proud person, a proud man or woman. God hates the arrogance of the pride of man. You think about it from his perspective. He's the maker, he's the creator. Every gift and ability that any of us have, any health that we have, anything that we're good at, anything we've accomplished, He's the one who ultimately did it. And so for a human being to to say, God does not exist, and look what I have done, and look what I have built, and look who I am. You can run through the Old Testament of the people that did that. It did not go well for them. God hates that. Because they're stealing glory and they're trying to steal glory that that should only be reserved for Him. So we should abhor the pride in ourselves and in others. A lying tongue. God hates habitual lying. Why does God hate that? Because He's truthful. God cannot lie. God does not lie. And so when we lie... As made in the image of God, we're telling a lie about our maker. God hates it. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Now this could include many people in many categories. But it certainly includes the the millions of babies that have been killed through abortion. It certainly includes that. God hates it. God made every one of those children. And when their lives are ended in the wombs, God hates it. It's the shedding of innocent blood. And as Christians, God says we should abhor that. We should abhor what he hates. That doesn't mean we should just not do it. It means we should abhor it for the the evil it is. Now, that doesn't mean there's no hope for women who have had abortions or men who have encouraged abortions or parents who have encouraged abortions. I heard a horrific story about a mom who kicked her daughter out of the home because she refused to have an abortion. Doesn't mean that the nurses and the doctors and the CEOs of these hospitals and companies that that promote abortions doesn't mean there's no hope for them. But they all, we all need to understand that abortion is a sin against God. And in a room this size, there are most likely men who have encouraged abortions and women who have participated in abortions. And this is where the gospel gives hope. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to pay for real sins. And so if you fall into any of those categories, but have turned to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness, then you really are saved and forgiven. You really are. There really is cleansing and forgiveness of all the guilt and shame that sin brings on. A fair number of us in this room have participated in all kinds of sins prior to trusting in Christ. And He has forgiven us and washed us and cleansed us. But we need to understand that God will not be mocked in these things. He's the judge. He will bring justice. And so there's two options. Whether it's this sin or any sin, either we're in Christ and protected and forgiven and covered, or we're on our own. And we're going to be exposed to the judgment of God. And the wrath of God will be upon us. Hell is a real place. God promises to punish those who live apart from His provision of salvation eternally. We all deserve that punishment, no matter what our sins were. But if you're in Christ, you are forgiven and free. The list goes on a little bit further. What else does God hate? A heart that devises wicked plans. This would include any plot to indulge in sin And harm others. I had many weekends where I had devised wicked plans. That that was the weekend. Which relates to the next one. Feet that make haste to run to evil. I ran to evil prior to Christ. Ran. God hates that. The last one on the list. A false witness who breathes out lies. Ask any police officer or judge how often this occurs. A group of people get arrested. They all tell different stories. They're all lying because they want to protect themselves. God knows the absolute truth of every one of the individuals before them. And oftentimes the law enforcement and the judges do too. But they continue to go down a path of self-preservation. And the problem is When we change the names of things that are really sinful according to God and call them other things, we call fornication, sleeping together, or adultery, having an affair. What what we do there is we're letting our conscience off the hook. And what God says is, no, all those things are sins. And if you call them sins and you own up to them, you run to my son Jesus who came to pay for all those sins. That's why it's so dangerous to to take the edge off of God's holiness and the things He says are very wrong. Because it's like if if I go to a doctor and I have a serious ailment and he says, oh, it's just a scratch. Well, he's going to treat me like it's just a scratch. But if I am rotten to the core, and He says, we're going to have to replace everything, For you to live a healthy life. Say, open me up. Replace everything. That's what God does for us in Christ. He replaces everything. When you trust in Christ, you become a new creation. The old you dies. The new one comes alive. That's the hope. The good news of the gospel. This week I was at a local drug and alcohol rehab center that Bob and I go to once a week. To just to read the Bible and share the gospel with men and women who have been in prison and jail and everything in between. And this, this every so often, there's a new group of people. And th- this group, Bob met with a couple of them the week before, and I got to meet with them this week. And there may have been one Christian in the bunch, but they were all there—desperate men. Three of them were dads, had kids of multiple ages, and. Those of you who have had family members or you yourself have struggled with addiction and enslavement of drugs and alcohol, you know the devastation is just all over the place. From grandparents to kids to friends to relatives, it's just all over the place. And at least on this day, I'm looking at a group of desperate men, aged 22 to mid-40s. They have no, no hope. Their lives are a mess. They can't even work. They, they, they can't do anything because of all the bad choices and sins that they have participated in. So what would you say to them? You say, you guys are a bunch of bums. You need to get out of here. You need to get a job. Well, you could say that. I don't think that's what God would say to them. I'm glad God didn't say that to me. What I said to them is I started with the holiness of God. I said, guys, your biggest problem is not your enslavement to sin right now. That's a problem. It's a big problem. It's just not your biggest problem. You could be sober for the rest of your life and still go to hell. You need Jesus. You need to put your faith in Jesus. And the one guy, probably the, the roughest of the bunch, who every other word was a word I can't say. He said, so you're telling me that if someone lives a life of sin like we have and trusts in Christ, they can be forgiven of all their sins. They'll go to heaven forever. They're free. That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's the good news of the Bible. That's the gospel. That's the free grace of God. And guys, as you do that, then you become a life follower of Christ. We're to abhor evil, but not in a self-righteous way. Not in a we're better than you kind of way. Paul leveled that earlier in the book of Romans. So it's the tension of holding to God's holy standards, being devoted to Him in our actions and our lives, and giving people who have really sinned in very grievous ways, the hope of Jesus Christ. Which Bob and I were able to do with these men in the last few weeks. But here's the thing that is so grievous to God, I think. And is heart-wrenching to your pastors. It's those of you who have been forgiven of your sins. You are a Christian. You are in Christ. You love Jesus with your mouth. And you really believe in Him with your heart. But at times, you have just jumped into the deep end. This is what Paul would say to you. He's writing to Christians here in Colossians. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Kill it. Crucify it. Put it to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. He's writing to Christians. He's saying, kill it. Put it to death. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these things you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Be devoted. Put them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator." As brothers and sisters, we're to follow hard after the Lord. We're to to battle and fight and kill these desires that, that come from within. And God's Spirit has given us power to do so. And God, in His wisdom, gives us a church family to help each other. But when you hide a certain area of your life, and you keep it in the dark, and you think you can handle it, it will eat you alive. And when it's exposed, which it's always going to be exposed, either in this lifetime or on that final day, there will be regret and sadness and sorrow. But if you come clean, there's forgiveness and freedom and joy and power to obey. This room is filled with men and women who have experienced freedom from our sin have experienced power to change, who no longer are being drugged by the neck by our sinful nature. It's really true. It's not just that we can be saved, but we can have a new life. So we're to abstain. And not just abstain from evil, but to abhor what is evil. And then he says we're to hold fast to what is good. Second part of verse 9. A genuine love for God clings to what is good. The word cling literally means we're to be glued. So you picture super glue. If you've ever used super glue and you've gotten it on your fingers, they're stuck. You can't get them out. It's a major hassle. I've done it many times. Every time I open the tube, it seems like it happens. I tell myself don't touch it and all of a sudden I'm touching it and my fingers are glued together. And you can maybe remember the old commercial where, like, I forget what the elephant's hanging on to, but he's glued to something because the superglue is so powerful. Well, that's the idea with the good. To be devoted to Jesus Christ is we're to abhor, to abstain, to run from that old life. And then we're to be glued to what is good, to be stuck To what is good. What is good? God is good. His word is good. His people are good. Telling others about Him is good. There is a billion good things in the Bible that we're to cling to. And if you cling and you're glued, you're far less likely to be pulled back there. Because you've been changed. You've experienced the good. And you're glued to it. So a genuine love for God clings to what is good. We're going to stop there. I want to read just verse 1 of chapter 12, and then next week we'll pick up verses 10 and 11. So let me just read verse 1, and then the band can come up. And as you think about these things, and if your life is out of step, talk to someone today, whether it's... Someone in the church, another Christian you know, the the prayer team, whoever it would be. Because God really can help you and change. Paul started this whole section. He said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, free forgiveness. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Let's pray. And the band can come up. Holy Spirit, you are a Holy Spirit. You are a powerful spirit. And you have given us life. You dwell inside of every one of your children. And Lord, I pray all of us would experience your power. All of us would grow in our devotion to you. All of us would bring you glory. Not just with our lips, but with our lives and with our actions. And Lord, as we close today, as we sing this final song, we are just reminded of these great benefits of Jesus living a perfect life and dying for us. May it fill us all with hope this morning and a great motivation to run hard after you. Lord, we love you and we ask all this in your name. Amen.